is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. Well, and welcome to the show, Neil Simpson from Bank Green. Um, we're going to be finding out all about Bank Green and how it works. But firstly, uh, yeah, good morning, Neil. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me. I'm really excited. No worries. Yeah, well, so please, let's let's get into it. What What is Bank Green? How is it related to the environment? What does it actually do? Uh, so... Um, the primary function of Bank Green is you land on our website, which is bank.green. And the first thing you do, you can do is uh, we'll ask you what country you're based in, and then you pick your bank from a drop-down menu, and then you click check my bank, and then we tell you whether or not your bank is likely to be financing the fossil fuel industry. Oh, okay. So it's um, so it's a way for people to check how clean their banks are. Is that right? And sort of whether their money is being put toward uh, fossil fuels. Yes, yes. Um, we made the decision to focus on fossil fuels, um, just for simplicity of message, really, and like priorities in terms of, you know, climate change and fossil fuels uh, industry being the main driver of that along with deforestation but yeah we chose to focus on fossil fuels just because um there are so many different things that a bank can and or might not finance like you know deforestation or other industries that pollute um and but we decided yeah the main thing we would um zoom in on was fossil fuel financing so that's so the ranks that we attribute to every bank are solely based on fossil fuels. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, and sort of what inspired you to start it? Like, when did you get going? Who's behind it? Sort of how did it all come into being? So I, um, I'm a writer, predominantly, primarily a writer, and I started writing uh, back in 2014 and I used to write about restaurants in London. And then as time went on, I became involved with Extinction Rebellion. Well, I became increasingly worried about the environment. And then uh, I found out about Extinction Rebellion and I felt like they were doing something really like necessary and, you know, uh, adequate to the state of urgency that I was constantly reading about. Um, And so I got involved with them and then I started writing for them during the pandemic uh, because they couldn't go out on the streets anymore. So um, my first article that I wrote for them on their blog was about um, fossil fuel finance because I'd, um, you know, people are always coming to me and asking like, oh, you know, uh, like, can I recycle this, Neil? Because I just became that person. Oh, as in like all your friends and family were like, oh, he's the environment guy. Let's let's ask him. And you, Mm -hmm. yeah. So they were like, right, which bin does my crisp wrapper go in? Yeah. And I was reading an article along these lines, like, what are the best things an individual can do to save the planet? And it was a long list of things. And right at the bottom of this really long list, I think it was like 100 items, was uh, change your bank account. And then this article that I'd read about that had been written by a variety of different journalists. And the journalist who had written the money part, which was shunted at the bottom, had written in the comments section on this website, why is the money part shunted at the bottom like this? Because this is the most important, like impactful thing that an individual can possibly do 
to combat the climate crisis. And, you know, above this on this list were things like um, mend the buttons on your coat instead of throwing your coat away. Okay, which right. is so obviously a little bit different good, but... in terms of in mm-hmm. terms of actual ambition and scope, a little bit different. Exactly. So I wanted to write about that. So when I was when I like uh, started writing for Extinction Rebellion, I'd said this is the first article I want to write is about this. And I was banking with Nat West at the time. So I investigated Nat West and tried to find out from them if they were using my money to finance fossil fuels, which was really difficult. But then I sort of incorporated that into this article uh, that I was writing to kind of give it a personal aspect. And then that article was published and the couple of people who helped me to edit that article and get it online um, decided uh, one of them was like, this could be in like, this could be an, an action. We could, you know, this is more than an article. This is something that we could actually turn into action and get other people to think about where their money is. Oh, and amazing. Then okay. Black Green was born. Yeah. So, so was it with those other people that then you start, you set this up? Because it's not just you doing Bank Green, is it? There's other people as well. Yeah. Um, so, so it all started with my idea, but I'm like very, and I do, you know, I've been there since day one, but I mean, uh, it's absolutely not me really. It's, it's a team effort, but it's, it's mainly, uh, Zach who, Zach Gottlieb, who, uh, edited my article and, uh, you know, he really like drives the ship forward of, that is Bank Green. And, um, so it's me, Zach and, uh, and then, uh, and then other people have like sort of come in and out of it. Um, but the other guy is called Albert Carter, and he's our like um, sort of data guru. He's really hot on the on uh, making sure the website works and how to make it better and how to yeah um, improve our functionality. Because like there must be like a lot of so many calculations going in. Like how how mm. do you work out if a bank is sustainable? Like what does sustainable really mean you know some people listening might be like oh well all banks will have their fingers in some oily pies like does it you know are there actually differences out there oh for sure um so typically a bank especially the big ones if they have if they have to talk about being sustainable they'll um start talking about um their scope one and scope two carbon emissions, which mean in everyday language, the carbon that they emit um, in doing their business. So, you know, running an office or... Oh, like, so like, you know, paying for their, you know, the their big bosses to travel to different... Exactly. ...different cities or how much paper they're using in the printer. Yeah. Is that so like very small, immediate things? Is that yes, right? Yes, Exactly. And then scope three would be, oh yeah, we might have accident, we not accidentally, but we might have, um, you know, shoveled quite a lot of millions or billions into this coal mine. Um, but that's like further down the road, and we don't, you know, we're a bank, we don't burn coal, we just help them to build the mine. But that's like, you know, and that would be scope three. So that's what you won't hear them talking about if they don't have to. Uh, so they'll talk about like the really small local stuff, but they will try yes. and avoid taking responsibility for where the money goes. And the money is, you know, actually what the money that the account holders give them. When you give your money to a bank, they take it and invest it. But they, if they're 
like this, they don't want to talk about where they're actually investing it. Is that right? Yes. Or they will choose what to talk about that sounds good. So that's happening increasingly as people uh, are becoming, well, quite frankly, more alarmed about the state of the environment. You'll, it's, you know, we call it greenwashing, but when uh, a bank will suddenly realize, or not just a bank, but in this case, a bank will realize like, oh, our customers care about this now. So we should highlight the fact that we're now use that we're now financing like this new solar farm, which is great. Like we're not criticizing that, but it's just that that as a proportion of a bank's overall finance portfolio might be like 3% and then 50% might be coal, but they won't talk about that if they don't have to, they'll talk about the solar park instead. Right. So either either bank. So what I guess what your website is encouraging people to do is figure out, you know, how clean is your bank and then Mm. consider switching to a cleaner one. So there are ones that are cleaner out there. There are ones where it sort of feels worth switching to. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Um, It is. um, Unfortunately, uh, you know, not like I mean, in the UK, at least the big banks you think of, are, you know, Barclays, NatWest, Lloyds, HSBC, Santander. So these ones, um, in terms of scale, there, there's nothing like to compete with that size of an institution. But um, the most, I would say, probably the most um, significant, um, what we would call sustainable bank in the UK is called Triodos. And then the cooperative bank... And uh, and then there's quite a lot of other banks that just don't finance fossil fuels, but it's not like their sort of modus operandi, whereas Triodos in, in particular is very vocal about, it's very purpose-driven, it's very intent, um, it's very intentional on what it finances and what it won't. And that's sort of their whole brand. Um, so generally speaking, um, you know, we don't pretend to know absolutely everything, like, you know, even though I bank with Triodos now, I, you know, I don't, we don't pretend to try and tell people exactly what these banks are up to all the time, but we just try to provide as much information and raise as much awareness as possible. So um, generally speaking, if you're, say, if you're considering a bank and you go onto their website and check them out, if they don't, specifically explicitly say anything about fossil fuels and you can probably assume that they are financing fossil fuels somehow right so and so what you're encouraging people is to i guess um is it is it divest because i've heard that word a lot in the brown fossil fuels um you're encouraging people or banks to divest their money away from fossil fuels and do you feel you feel like there is pressure picking up and banks are starting to get more anxious about this? Um, have you seen like an increase in greenwashing or banks trying yeah. to appear cleaner? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, if you just, I would say, have just Google HSBC greenwash and they have HSB, HSBC in particular has sort of um, put its foot in its mouth quite a few times over the last 12 months. Oh, yeah. What, what sort instances... of stuff? Tell us some. Tell some oh, juicy details. Do. Well, so but um, so HSBC uh, were recently they were just really embarrassed by uh, what are they the the stand the advertising standards agency that's it the advertising standards agency in the UK uh, upheld a complaint against HSBC just because they were they put some adverts 
it was one of their marketing campaigns. I think it was in 2021 or 2020. And it was just on the side of bus stops and, you know, on the websites and on TV and stuff. And they were like, you know, talking about climate change and like, oh, we're concerned about climate change. So we're doing this and that. And people who knew their full activities were like really indignant about this because because they're just lying like it's it well they're not lying but they're they might be worried about climate change they're but they're being mis- extremely 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 misleading. creative with the truth yeah yeah and just sort of the thing that i really hate about greenwashing is that it, it's designed to make people feel relaxed like oh that's in hand that's being taken care of and it, i just think it's sort of a little bit evil because it's just yeah. not you know that's the whole reason they're talking about it is to calm people down be like, oh yeah, I'm going to bank with HSBC because they've got they you know they've got this under control and they completely haven't. So um, so HSBC had to withdraw this particular advert and I guess they got fined. Um, but yeah, you, you yeah you you'll find these these sort of those sort of examples are increasingly happening. Um, I think Royal Bank of Canada, which is extremely has an extremely bad uh, fossil fuel financing record. Um, I think they're being taken to court by some members of the public, and I think that all that's that's becoming more of a trend that they're just being taken to court. That's amazing, yeah, and and fair, yeah. fair play to anyone who sort of has the time and patience to take these big mm. companies to court because I imagine yeah. it feels like David and Goliath sometimes. Yeah. There's no guarantee that you're going to win, but that's yeah. great news about the um, yeah the sort of advertising standards being held up. Yeah. Um, so. Um, Sorry, Sorry, I just I thought I should go back to what you said about divestment quickly, um, and and just to you know uh, underline the phrase. But yeah, uh, I think we don't. I think divestment it to me it kind of suggests like a much larger uh, movement of money um, that normally would be associated with like a pension fund, for example, where they have like a huge amount of money invested in. a particular um, area and they just pull it all out. Um, but yeah, if you, like I moved my money from NatWest to Triodos and so I, yeah, that was m- me divesting myself. Um, but I mean, it's such like a piddly amount of money that I, I mean, I'm sure they didn't notice, but I think like it, you know, it's like a snowball effect, isn't it? As it rolls down the hill, more and more of this money is being moved somewhere away from fossil fuels. Um, and I don't pretend, you know, I'm, I'm obviously uh, very aware that NatWest probably will be fine without my money because there's not a lot of it. But yeah, um, but like you say, it's of more of the awareness and it's it's that, you know, it's that ripple effect, isn't it? You know, yeah. by itself, nobody's no, none of us are going to save the world by ourselves. We're not superheroes. But that thing about, you know, just making people aware of it. So, okay, so for people who are listening who are saying, who think, okay, oh, this sounds great, but, you know, do I have time? You know, is is switching bank account, is it hard work? Is it going to cost money? Does it take a long time? Is it going to affect people's credit scores if they do this? Um, so I just uh, finished an article that's now on our the blog section of our website. It's called Meet the Money Movers. So if you go to bank.green forward slash blog, and click on the newest article there, Meet the Money Movers. I interviewed uh, seven people who have um, switched bank accounts because of uh, discovering Bank Green. And uh, and just, you know, 
got an interesting range of answers from them about the switching process. And uh, I spoke to someone based in Ireland who found it quite difficult because you have to do everything yourself. So, um, you know, you have to like, you have to coordinate everything. If you've got direct debits, then you have to manually make sure that that direct debit is moved to your new bank account at the right time and that, you know, you don't get the timing wrong because, you know, the money might come out uh, and it's not, or they might try to take the money out, but it's not in that account anymore and then you get fine, et cetera. So in Ireland, at least, I know that it is, it is quite tricky. Um, but in the UK, uh, my experience was that everything was just done for me. And I spoke to someone um, who told me like that they think the UK uh, made it much easier and automated in the 90s, um, basically putting the onus on the banks to do it for you. And there is, and then that's evolved into something now called, yeah, so now there's something called the current account switch service. And if a bank, it, and that's just at currentaccountswitch.co.uk. And if you go there, there's a list of banks that are signed up to the current account switch service in the UK. And that means that your current account switch is guaranteed to happen in seven days. And if it doesn't, then that's their fault, not not, not on you. Um, you won't, and if you incur any sort of like late payment charges or anything, the banks have to pay that. So, um, okay. So in the, in the UK, it's pretty easy to do it and it will happen within seven days. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or it should do. Um, I think it has to happen within 10 working days and then the current account switch service has sort of raised, raised the bar a bit and made it seven. Um, yeah. So, but it is, it is, it's definitely easy in the UK to do it. And that's why you asked about credit scores. Yes, as well. please go ahead. Yeah, will it would it affect my credit score if I did this? So I spoke to someone who um, was worried about her credit score when she was changing banks because she was trying to apply for a mortgage. So she waited until she'd been approved for a mortgage before she switched some of her accounts, and she checked and said that her credit score had decreased by sixteen points out of, out of uh, what was it? I think it was sixteen points out of seven hundred and ten possible points. So I mean. Like that's pretty small. Um, and I have read since that if you, I've read on in, from several like, you know, reputable sources that uh, simply changing your current account doesn't affect your credit score. But what might affect your credit score is when you open your new bank account, your new bank will uh, check your credit score and that having your credit score checked will affect your credit score. Or it could do if say, you know, they find something that, you know, was hasn't been flagged in the past or something, some sort of new recent de- development in your financial activity that uh, affects your credit score. But um, just moving from one bank to another doesn't affect your credit score. Okay, no, that makes sense. I suppose if you have like a big, a big, you know, loan coming up, maybe you want to hold fire on this until after that. But it sounds like for most of the time, it'll be pretty simple. Um, yeah. Yeah. And why have you gone for like consumer pressure and not shareholder engagement? Why? What? What was the thinking behind um, encouraging c- consumers to pressure the banks? Surely the shareholders maybe have a bit more power over this sort of thing. I mean, they, they absolutely do. Uh, I, I would. I've been to um, these meetings. I've been to a couple of bank AGMs where the shareholders gather and try to apply pressure, and it's 
it's slowly making a difference. I, I personally think that there's, you know, we're in a climate emergency. There's room for anything, anything that might help, just try it. So there are people applying, there are shareholders applying pressure. Um, that isn't something that I can get involved with. That isn't something that like, you know, someone who's, you know, an individual who's really worried about the climate crisis can get involved with. So I think, you know, that's just one avenue that you could go down. Um, and our avenue is uh, consumer power and making banks realise that their customers are really concerned about this and causing that ripple effect. Um, yeah, with with shareholder engagement, it's just bank, Barclays Bank is the most generous uh, financer of the fossil fuels industry in Europe. Oh, what, and in the whole of Europe? Yeah. Oh my goodness, okay. Yeah, they, they arrange more, like a larger amount of money for fossil fuels than any other bank in Europe. Uh, they're not the biggest in the world, but yeah, the biggest in Europe, and we use Barclays just because everyone's heard of, well, the UK, everyone in the UK has heard of Barclays. And, you know, Barclays are clearly not overall that concerned about, you know, fo the fossil fuels industry, like, you know, in terms of they're not they're not concerned about exiting the fossil fuel industry. It's not something that they're clearly not prioritising yeah, it at all. Yeah, it's definitely not top of their priority list at all. Right. So you can imagine, you know, what their board of directors is like and what the majority of their shareholders are like. It's not a priority for them. So even if uh, there was some shareholder activism at Barclays, you've got, I don't know, maybe if a collection of shareholders who try to, who try the shareholder activism route and affect change that way. But I mean, you, they'd be up against it at Barclays. Yeah, it sort of it seems, would... it seems more effective to build that public pressure through consumers yeah. and encouraging people to shift and that will, you know, it'll, it's still a slow process, but it'll probably have more of an impact than trying to do things politely within boardrooms because that's going to take even longer, if ever. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think there's room for both. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know, for me, at the core of it is just a feeling that I, you know, think about climate change all the time and all the different ways that I can try and do something to make a difference and to affect change. And, and while I'm, you know, attending a protest or, you know, refusing to eat meat anymore, um, I've got money in my bank account that is being used, that was being used to, you know, build a coal mine. And it's just kind of a bit absurd. And, and, and so moving my money, uh, at least I know that I've done that now. And yeah. so that's what we're trying to, if nothing else, that's what Bank Green provides. Yeah, sort of that ability to do everything you can for, mm. for, the, um, for fighting the climate crisis. And yeah, it's, as they say, it sort of takes everyone pushing from all sides to sort of bring these systems down. Um, yeah, yeah uh, Final couple of questions. Um, how is the project funded? You mentioned um, Triodos, I think. Is this something that they're, you know, are they, do they ever sponsor you for this or is this completely independent? How does that work? No, we're all volunteers. 
We would love. Oh, some. this isn't your. <laughs> this isn't your job. <laughs> this is. This well, is in is, your spare time. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh wow! Increasingly on. Yeah. It's. It, I mean, it know, sounds so. like it takes up a lot of spare time, but yeah, yeah you're does, you're yeah. not being paid for it. Wow. Okay. No. Um. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I. We we recently were featured in a cooperative ad campaign, which I think is hasn't quite finished yet. They had they were running the cooperative bank was running TV adverts in the UK before Christmas. I think it was in October or November, uh, and you can find it on YouTube. And it's you know and they're the and it's really um, explicit. It's, I think it's the first time that I'd seen a bank explicitly talking about the link between bank accounts and fossil fuels. And, you know, in this advert, they say, like, your money is being used to fund this. And then there's a picture of, like, a, you know, a fossil fuels factory. And um, not factory, sorry, like a fossil fuels energy plant. And uh, and that might sound quite straightforward, but you don't, banks don't do that. They, they don't explicitly, explicitly talk about it like that unless they have to. So this so is quite, this is quite groundbreaking that the co-ops yeah. even doing this. And that's, you know, probably in part because of you guys' work, because of kind of drawing attention to it. Yeah, I reckon. And they, uh, and they talked about us, not in the TV advert, but then they had that follow-up, like, you know, press releases and they were talked about in the, you know, they spread the word as much as they could. And, they mentioned us like on their social media accounts and their press releases, like go to Bank Green and uh, check your bank. Wow, and, um, that's amazing. And, you know, I would have thought that a lot of people would see that and think, huh, they must be getting paid by Bank Green to talk about them or they're paying Bank Green to be associated with them. But there was not, nothing like that at all. Like we don't, no one pays us. So that was kind of cool. Um, but I also, at the same time, you know, it wouldn't be okay for us to take uh, funding from banks because I think that would sort of you know dilute our message and make us less trustworthy so if it 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 would be great to uh, have some money behind us so that we could do more but at the moment it's just yeah it's just us volunteering. Amazing well I mean that's incredible that you've kind of got so much done already just you know in your spare you. time. Um, yeah, I, I think we're almost out of time. This has been really interesting. Um, last couple of questions. Uh, um, what is your favourite biscuit? <laughs> uh, what is my favourite biscuit? Mm, well, I can't. Yeah, see, I, I just sort of this is This is the really tricky one. This is the really difficult question. <laughs> well, it is because I would have been able to answer that question a few years ago. But like now that I'm sort of plant based, I don't really know what to tell you. Oh, unless what? I'm having like a cheat day and then I'd probably whip out a Twix. Oh, OK. <laughs> no, oh, Twix is, what's sort of like your favourite plant based alternative then for those anyone listening oh, who's trying don't to really, switch? I don't know. I. Oh, yes, I know. So um, I just, I sort of really, I don't, I try not to go after alternatives because I know I, this isn't probably something I should say, but I'm not here to talk about veganism, so whatever. But um, I often find that if you go for like the vegan alternative of something that I love eating, like pizza, it's just depressing because you're like, well, this isn't as good. Oh, that's so interesting. So I just okay. have found other things. Like, I mean, this is going to sound really boring, but now a treat for me would be piece of dark chocolate or um like a load of almonds and some pistachio nuts which is actually better for you so i'm not yeah. complaining and they are um, all delicious to be fair 
unless yeah, you know and, chocolate's still chocolate. Yeah, but like yeah, vegan biscuits tend to be a bit rubbish. But um, I was in Pret recently, and they have a dark chocolate cookie now, and it's vegan, and I think it's chocolate orange. Maybe no, it's not. It can't, but it's so good. It was really, really good. I was blown away. I think oh. it's a Belgian dark chocolate cookie. Okay. Oh, and if you see one of those, yum, yeah. get it. No, I will definitely check that out. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I think, yeah, that was everything. Thanks so much, Neil. Do you want to just remind us um, where people, if they want to check out the website, how they get there to sort of think about looking whether they want to switch their bank, how clean their bank is? Thank you, Shona. Yeah, it's bank.green. That's it. Uh, have a look on there. The first thing you will be able to do is put your bank in, have a check and see whether or not it's financing the fossil fuels industry. And then we've got a whole suite of resources and tools uh, on the website that will help you decide what to do next. Um, and then we're on social media, Instagram, bank.green underscore and Twitter, bank.green underscore as well. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. That was really interesting. And uh, yeah, keep up the good fight. It sounds very long, hard work, but really necessary. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. I really appreciated it. And that was uh, Neil Simpson from Bank Green who came to, yeah, who spoke to us about, um, yeah, obviously, banking industry and how we can make it more sustainable. So thank you so much to Neil for that. And a bit, we did a bit more digging about Bank Green. And apparently since launching in April 2021, Bank Green's average monthly unique website visits has risen to 9,000 views per month. That's more, more than 3,000 people have signed up to their monthly newsletter and online they are synonymous with green banking information. And there's been 2,000 pledges uh, for people switching their bank. I've actually went on, I went online last night and checked to, and sort of checked my own bank to see how green it was. Turns out, not very. So um, yeah, I need to go away and sort of look at switching as well. And there are, it does list a lot of really positive alternatives. So that's really good. Um, yeah, signing the Bank Green Pledge provides access to switching information as well as a reminder function. So you can pick the most convenient time to be sent an email nudge with guidance and resources for when to switch. So yeah, um, we are now going, I'm going to talk briefly about Culture Corner in a minute we'll just play a little bit of music first um but yeah so it's one love one planet we'll be back with you in a minute to talk about a new book that's come out all about flora and fauna yeah so now we come to the culture corner part of the show where we are going to talk about a book this is a book that penny southgate drew my attention to on twitter it's called teasdale's special flora places plants and people it's a book by a lady, an amazing lady called Dr. Margaret E. Bradshaw. She um, has studied the flora in the Teesdale area for 70 years. She's still going strong at 97. So that's quite impressive. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, the upper Teesdale is apparently considered one of the top five botanical hotspots in Britain and Ireland due to the unusually large number of rare plant species found um, there and the fact that plants with very ge different geographical distributions grow together there. Um, this unusual combination of northern and southern species um, occurs nowhere else in Britain. And uh, this Teesdale assemblage of rare plants is considered to have survived continuously since shortly after the last glaciation some ten to 12,000 years ago. So this is um, 
yeah, a very, a very unique area. So if you're interested in plants or botany, this is, you know, maybe something for you. So, um, yeah, Dr. Margaret E. Bradshaw has published a book called Teasdale's Special Flora. Um, it's about, uh, for anyone who's sort of interested in this, um, this particular uh, Upper Teasdale area in County Durham um, is one of the jewels of our botanical heritage, apparently, in the UK. It's... Um, it has an outstanding and special floor. It's been shaped by its altitude, its land use patterns, its diverse uh, geology. Many of the plants found in this location are rare and localised. Others are more common or widespread. Um, but it's, Upper Teasdale is a hot spot for botanists. It's also a scenically beautiful area and it's much visited by walkers and tourists. And this particular book offers visitors unique insights about this area and its botanical riches. Uh, it features more than 330 photographs, which is pretty good. Um, and it offers a history of the botanical exploration and describes the people who live, work and study plants there today, which is always lovely, I think, to have that human element and that uh, looking at that connection between nature and people. It provides an overview of environmental threats and what is required to ensure a sustainable future. So it looks like yeah, a really interesting book. You can buy it from the Princeton University Press website or from Amazon. It's called Teasdale Special Flora Places, Plants and People. Um, so if you're interested in botany or plants, maybe that's one for you. So yeah, a couple more things just before we wind up for the day. So um, on the 18th of March, so that's uh, just in a few days time, it is Global Recycling Day, which is an environmental awareness day created in 2018 by the Global Recycling Foundation. This day helps to recognise and celebrate the importance that recycling plays in saving CO2 emissions. Each year, recycling alone saves over 700 million tonnes in CO2 emissions. So I know sometimes we think, oh, what's the point of recycling? And obviously there is stuff that needs that could be done. You know, there's ways it could be done better. There are issues with uh, first world um, global north countries uh, shipping their recycling offshore, sending it to other countries to deal with and it not actually getting recycled. But, you know, a lot of it does get recycled. And uh, it does save a lot of tonnes of CO2 emissions. And this is projected to increase to 1 billion tonnes of emissions by 2030. Global Recycling Day seeks to tell world leaders that recycling is simply too important not to be a global issue and that a common joined up approach to recycling is urgently needed. So that's Global Recycling Day on the 18th of March. The other thing I wanted to mention is that we have our own litter pick here in East Bristol, uh, based at Barton Hill Settlement on uh, yeah every month. And the next one is happening this Saturday at 10 o'clock, uh, meeting at the gates of Barton Hill Settlement. That's near Lawrence Hill. And all the kit is provided. We pick for about 50 minutes for an hour. We can have a tea and coffee afterwards. It's a lovely way to kind of give back to your community, uh, see some really tangible results and just get out and talk to, you know, talk to other people who are also doing it. I've made some really good friends through that litter pick. So definitely if you are free this Saturday morning, come meet us. Why not? At 10 o'clock on um, at the gates of Barton Hill Settlement and we can go make a little bit of difference in the world, which is the, you know, it's what we're all here for, isn't it? So we'll play some music in a minute, but that brings us to the end of our show, I believe. Thank you again to Neil for the interview. That was really interesting. Thank you, our listeners, for listening. Without you, there is no show. Uh, please do join us next week when we're going to be talking to one of the organisers in the local Extinction Rebellion group. Now, Extinction Rebellion has been a very controversial uh, group at times over the last few years. Um, some love them, some hate them, some 
uh, feeling different, <laughs> um, but they have been very controversial. And I think we wanted to talk to one of the organisers of the, there's an upcoming meeting called Stronger as One, I believe, which is trying to uh, address some of the criticisms Extinction Rebellion have faced around not being inclusive, um, being quite uh, cliquey and not being very diverse so we're going to talk to one of the organizers of the effort to really try and push out and get beyond that we're going to sort of to ask you know is it is it possible is it worthwhile you know what's what's extinction rebellion trying to do these days next up on bcfm is lunchtime with tristan b so keep it locked to bcfm for more tunes and chat but that's all for me shona gentry so for now please take care have a good day look after yourselves look after the planet and look after each other